Good morning, church. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Beautiful day outside today. Very, very excited. We are in a series at our church called The Church Has Left the Building, and it is a study through the book of Acts. And I hope you've been reading along and studying along on your own time, because Acts is about action. It's about the actions of God. It's about the actions of the Holy Spirit. It's about the actions of God's people, the apostles, God's church. And so far, we have seen in Acts chapter 1, when the church began, it started with 120 believers. In Acts 2, that jumped to 3,000. And in Acts chapter 4, it jumps 5,000 men, not counting women and children who were also added. And so the church started out with a big, big bang, very large, growing very fast. Yay, God, it's a wonderful thing. Now, just a little bit of context. The early church started in a culture in many ways like America. The Roman Empire was the biggest, most prominent, most powerful, the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Citizens lived lavish lifestyles. They had a plethora of religions and spiritualities and multiple gods and goddesses. Immorality was rampant. This is the culture in which the church was born and grew. And so the church exploded in that kind of culture, which gives us hope even today, right? And so now we come to Acts chapter 4. And the church gets her first taste of suffering. The church gets her first taste of persecution and opposition. And we will see this continue throughout the book of Acts on into our very lives today. And so here is the hard truth for Christians. Christians are going to suffer. Christians are going to face opposition and persecution. We do not like that, right? I mean, we don't. When I first came to Jesus 40-some years ago and surrendered my life to him, I had no idea there would be suffering and persecution, opposition in my Christian walk. No idea. You know, all, all I knew was that I gave my life to Jesus, which is a big plus, and that one day I would go to heaven, which is a big, big plus, but what I didn't understand then was all the in-between time, in between giving my life to Jesus and going to heaven, what we call life. I didn't, I didn't know what this life was going to be like, this Christian life. And when you signed up with Jesus, you probably didn't know that some people would hate you. That some people would say horrible things about you, that you might lose your job that your family might turn their backs on you for following Jesus. And you probably didn't know, like I didn't know, that following Jesus would be difficult. Sometimes I wonder how many of us would not have signed up for Jesus had we known how hard following the way would turn out to be. Now, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just being real. I have been a follower of Jesus now for 40 years, and it has had its ups and downs. It's been hard, but I would not trade one day of it for anything. 
I love Jesus and I love his church and I love the Bible and I love my Christian friends, but it's not an easy life. And that's what we Christians need to get. Um, I think that we have become victims of a soft, easy Christianity. You know, a Christianity which demands nothing and requires nothing usually means nothing. I think there's a whole lot of easy believism going on today. You know, come to Jesus and you'll be blessed. You know, you're sick, well, come to Jesus and he'll make you well. You're poor, come to Jesus and he'll give you a job and he'll give you good health and he'll give you family and he'll give you kids. Jesus will give you whatever you want. And so people sign up. And then when they find out that it's really not that way, they get disappointed with God. And they get frustrated with God because life gets hard. It does. I've seen people walk away from God saying, you know, I signed up for a blessing. I didn't sign up for persecution. I didn't sign up for that. Well, yes, you did. That's exactly what you signed up for. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy. Look what he says to Timothy, and he says the same thing to you and I today. In fact, everyone, now everyone means everyone, that means you and me, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that's what we want, right? We want Jesus to be the center of our lives. So again, he's talking about us, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Look at this, these next three words, will be persecuted. I'm, I'm not really down for that, right? I like the whole blessing. I like to live a godly life, but no, nah. you know, blessings, yes. You know, persecution, no. Peace, yeah. But suffering, mm -mm, don't want that. Hope, I want hope. Everybody wants hope. But opposition, mm -hmm, not so much. You know what? We get in trouble just for speaking today. There's two kinds of persecution over and covert. Overt persecution is when you're thrown to the lions. Covert persecution is when you're criticized. Overt persecution is where you die for Jesus. Covert persecution is when you live for Jesus. Overt persecution, they silence you by killing you. Covert persecution, they silence you by shaming you. But make no mistake, the goal of both kinds of persecution is to stop you from talking about Jesus. That's it. So we're in Acts chapter 4. and Maybe you remember from last week that uh, there was a lame man from birth. He was suffering. He was begging. And Peter looked at him and he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the Bible says the man who never walked a day in his life, he jumped up. He was totally healed. It was a public healing. And remember, Dr. Luke is the one recording this. And he's a doctor, so this is very, very legit. And the guy is leaping and jumping and praising God. And so this is a good thing, right? I mean, the lame man was healed. 
Yay, no copay, no deductibles, no physical therapy, no prescriptions and medicine. It's a very, very good thing. But Peter and John were arrested and thrown in jail. Why? Not because he was healed. They were arrested and thrown in jail because they were talking about Jesus. They asked him, who healed this guy? Jesus. Who is this guy? He's God. Where is he? He's in heaven. How did he heal this man? Because Jesus is sovereign God who rules over all the people, over all nations. And then they wanted to know more about this Jesus. And that is what got Peter and John arrested. Simply talking about Jesus. Isn't that the way it is today? Serve people, that's a great thing. People love that. Help people, that's a wonderful thing. Love hurting people, that's awesome. Give money to charities, very, very, very cool. But you say, Jesus loves you and he tells me to love you then that's when we get into trouble. And that's what got Peter and John arrested, simply talking about Jesus. You see, Christianity is not only about serving people and serving God. It's about speaking, and speaking causes suffering. Followers of Christ are to serve Christ and speak for Christ and to do so with great boldness. And so Peter and John were thrown into jail, not for anything they did wrong, but for what they did right. So let's work our way through this story. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. They had been in jail, okay? So on their release, that means that they got out of jail. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they go back to the church people, and they report what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Those are the religious leaders of that day. And when they, the church, heard this, look at this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And so they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, you try to say that in a classroom today. God made the world. You'll get in trouble. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And then he quotes Psalms chapter 2. He's quoting the Bible, okay, to God. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That's Jesus. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, now I want you to catch this. They just get out of jail and they name two prominent political leaders. That's very, very bold. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. That's the Jewish people. In this city, to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, who you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. That's the sovereignty of God. Now look at their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with what? With boldness, great 
boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I love verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That's an earthquake. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Great story. A lot of good stuff here. We're going to break it down just a little bit, keeping in mind the great, the big idea that followers of Christ will suffer and will be persecuted and will face opposition. And we want to see how did the early church deal with this? And there are five things. Number one, seek Christian friends. The early church sought out their Christian friends. Look at verse 23 again. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. One of my favorite things about our church is that we are a close-knit community of believers. Our church is marked by wonderful, deep, abiding friendships. And we need that. In a world that is full of relational breakdowns, you know, divorce and estrangement, kids going off to college, fractured families and broken families, we all need close friends. We need connections with God's people. I need that. And you need that. I want you to notice that Peter and John had already developed these close relationships before they were arrested, before they were threatened. And so I want you to hear me this morning. Pursue Christian friendships now. Develop them, build them today, before trouble comes, before calamity strikes, before crisis happens and opposition comes your way. That is why our church is so big on life groups and men's groups and women's groups and youth groups and all these kind of get-togethers. I want you to think about two questions. Who can you lean on? You. And the second question is, who can lean on you? Very important. Very important. We need close friends. But the Bible also says that we need to be good friends. And if you don't have very many friends, maybe it's because you're not very friendly. You know, friendly people have friends. And so in your time of need, lean on one another. Seek godly friendships. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The second thing, open the Bible. They, in the early church, trusted and believed in God's word. Simply put, Christians believe the Bible. Non-Christians don't. Christians and non-Christians, we disagree on a lot of issues. Marriage and spirituality and sexuality. And there's many disagreements over many different issues. But the biggest disagreement, perhaps, is over who wrote the Bible. I want you to think about that. Is the Bible a book written by people about God or... Is the Bible a book that God wrote through people? What do you think? What do you believe? Because that makes a big, big difference. I mean, if this book, the Bible, is a book wrote by people about God, then it goes on the shelf with all these other books about sociology and philosophy and 
other religions, you know, up on the shelf with uh, Dr. Seuss. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of God, a little bit of man's opinion, just put it up on the shelf. But if this book is a book that God wrote, then it is above all other books. It is the only perfect book. It's not a word about God. It is a word from God. It's not how we perceive God, but the Bible is about how God reveals himself to be. And those things are very, very different. In our church, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We believe that. The Bible is alone in that, that it's the word of God. Look what it said in verse 25. They started praying. They said, Sovereign Lord, they're talking to God. He is above all other gods and rulers and nations and tribes and spiritualities. He is sovereign Lord. And they are praying to that God. And they quote from memory Psalms chapter 2. Great lesson right there. Showing us today how important it is that we have the word of God written on our hearts. Open your Bible. Please get it. Never forget that this book, the Bible, is the book that God wrote. It's the only book that God wrote. It's perfect. It's authoritative. And it is to be obeyed. And in our passage, the word of God came through King David. But the words came from the Holy Spirit through David's voice. I remember many years ago having a bit of a debate with a gal about a very controversial subject. And so I quoted some scriptures, particularly some of the writings of the Apostle Paul. And she said to me, she said, I believe in the Bible, but I don't believe in Paul. I don't believe what Paul said. Paul was male chauvinist, she said. He hated women, she said. I disagree with Paul. I believe the Bible, but I disagree with Paul. And I said to her, you can't do that. You can't say, well, I disagree with Paul, but I believe in the Bible. That's like saying, I disagree with God. Because Paul was inspired by God. Paul was God's mouthpiece. So you can't do that. Folks, either the Bible is the word of God or it is not. If it is the word of God, then all of it is the word of God. And so when suffering comes your way, and it will, when persecution comes your way, and it will, and opposition comes your way, it will come your way. You must and I must cling to the word of God, the entire word of God. You and I, we cannot edit the Bible. We cannot pick and choose what we want, what we don't want out of the word. And hear me, folks try to do that all the time. They do. You know, I like the part about grace but you can keep that part about the judgment of God, you know. I like the part about love, but you can keep the part about, you know, loving your enemy. I'm not so big on that one. So I want to challenge you, rather than editing the Bible, we need to study the Bible, we need to read the Bible, and if we disagree with the Bible, we need to change our minds, not try to change God's mind or change the Bible. I've said this before, and you, you've heard it before. The Bible is the number one best-selling book, most purchased book of all time. 
and it's also the number one least read book of all time. Please get it. In the face of opposition and suffering, we need to know what the Bible says. We need to study what the Bible says. We need to memorize what the Bible says. We need to obey what the Bible says. And we need to share what the Bible says. Number three, pray together. Notice the early church, they prayed in community with one another. Look at verse 24. When Peter and John got back to their people, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Friends, your non-Christian buddies might give you counsel, but they will not pray for you. They might share their opinions and their experiences of life, but they can't ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. They're not going to point you to the Bible like the early believers were doing. And so when trouble comes, and folks, again, trouble will come, it happens, we must do exactly what the early church did when trouble came. They opened up the Bible, Psalms chapter 2, and they prayed. They prayed together. They prayed in community. Folks, pray. Pray, pray, and pray. Our life groups pray. Our leadership teams pray. Our families pray together. It's powerful. Prayer is a very powerful thing. Private prayer and corporate prayer. So pray for one another every day. Call people on your phone and pray with them on the phone. Text people your prayers. Email people your prayers. Get together and pray together. Pray for one another and with one another. Someone said that the shortest distance between two people is prayer. And so you with me so far? They sought out Christian friendships. They opened the Bible. They prayed together. We must have all three. And if we do not have all three, if we don't embrace all three, then one day our relationship with the church will grow cold. Our relationship with God will grow cold and well, it will until crisis happens. And then we come running back. God, help me. God's people, please help me. And so the thing that knits people together better than anything is prayer. By the way, prayer is a good cure for grumbling and complaining as well. Just saying. Number four, God has got this. By that, I mean, they, the church, had, the, they had faith in the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 24. They prayed, Sovereign Lord. In verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They were saying, God, they did exactly what you knew would happen. And so what is this whole thing about the sovereignty of God? Well, it's very, very important. It does not mean that God causes all things that happens to happen. God doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't cause us to sin. He doesn't desire for his people to suffer. God's sovereignty, simply put, means God is in control of everything. Okay? God is in control of nature. He created nature. He sustains nature. And he can overrule nature with a miracle if he wants to. He rules over it. He controls nature. God is in control of history. 
The Bible says that everything in history up to this very day is moving toward a primary focus. There is a climax in history that the world is moving toward. We believe that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. God is in control of history. He's in control of your life. And he's in control of my life. Sovereignty means that God is above all, that he rules over all gods and all nations, all kings and kingdoms, over all philosophies. He rules above all. God's will will always be done. No one can thwart the will of God. No one matches God in glory. No one matches him in power. No one matches him in majesty. Sovereignty of God. He's got this. Jesus rules and he reigns overall. Sovereignty means that no matter what is happening in our world, in our lives, God has got this. God is in control. Democrats are not sovereign. Republicans are not sovereign. Independents are not sovereign. You are not sovereign. I'm not sovereign. Only God is sovereign. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's easy to trust in the sovereignty of God when things are going great. It, it is. When your faith is good, praise the Lord. God's got this. When your health is good, praise the Lord. God's got this. When your job is secure, praise the Lord. God is in control. Your marriage is strong. God is in control. Your kids are perfect. Praise God. He's in control. But I want you to see from Acts chapter 4 that things were not going smoothly for the church. They were not going smoothly for Peter and John. They were facing severe opposition. They were put in jail, arrested and put in jail for preaching about Jesus. So here's what you need to see, what I need to see. They still trusted in God's sovereignty, even when things were not good. How about you? How about you? I, I, I want you to see that. In Acts chapter 4, things were not going well. The church was facing severe opposition. And I have seen this over and over and over in ministry. When everything's going well, God is good. I got straight A's in school. God is in control. You know, I have a great job. God's got this. I mean, we're, it's pretty easy when everything's going well. But then when things turn south, circumstances are not going so well. Then I have often heard, where's God? In all of this. You know, I've heard people say, well, maybe, maybe God is not real. When problems come, maybe, maybe he's not powerful. And so here's the question. When life is hard, how do you view the sovereignty of God? That's an important question. You must answer it. I mean, right now we have this crazy pandemic going on all over the world. In the midst of this, this craziness, how do you view the sovereignty of God? You get what I mean? Christians, it's so easy for us to view the sovereignty of God more easily when everything's going well. But sometimes when things go south, it seems like circumstances are sovereign. Sometimes it feels like someone else 
is in control. But I want you to know today that God is in control. God has got this. Always, good times and bad times, he's got this. The early church trusted in the sovereignty of God. Herod and Pontius Pilate thought that they were sovereign. They weren't. The masses who cried out, crucify him, crucify him, they thought they were sovereign. The political leaders thought that they were sovereign. The religious leaders thought that they were sovereign. Think about this. If ever in history there was a time when it seemed like God was not in control, it was at the cross. The cross of Jesus. People saying, where's God? Well, he's the one in the middle of the cross. He's the one that's bleeding and beaten and the one who's dying. Well, he doesn't look like he's in control. He doesn't look like he's sovereign. He doesn't look like he's winning. Now, listen to me, friends. Rome did not plan Jesus' cross. The cross was not their plan. The, the, the cross was not the Jews' plan or the Gentiles' plan. The cross was God's plan all along. God's got this. It's, it's so important that you get that. And I do not know how God does this, but he does. God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, those who love him. And I don't know how God does that, but I do know this. When you sin, it's your fault. And when I sin, it's my fault. And I know that God is so big and so good that he will use our sin for good, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's an awesome thing. So I need to move on, running out of time. But for right now, trust in the sovereignty of God, good times and bad times. Always remember, God's got this. And the last thing I want you to see is never back down. By that, I mean they spoke the word of God boldly to others. Look at verse 29. Now, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's their prayer. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love that. You see what's going on? Pay attention now. They were not praying, God, take away our troubles. God, take away our trials. They were not praying, God, crush our enemies. God, close down the jails. God, take away this pandemic. They weren't praying, God, make the media turn in our favor. They were not praying, God, pass some laws that, that we agree with. They weren't praying any of that. They weren't praying for anything out there, circumstances. They were praying for everything in here, in our hearts, in our minds. They were praying for everything in here to change. God, don't get us around the valley of the shadow of death. God, get us through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what they were praying Folks, they were praying for boldness in the face of threats. When is the last time you spoke the word of the Lord to anyone with courage and with boldness? And so maybe it's time for you and for me 
to pray that God give us boldness to speak his word rather than for God to make us comfortable. I want to close again with, with verse 31. Love, love this, this verse. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Earthquake. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God's answer was to shake the place where they were meeting and fill God's people with the Spirit once again. So the early church was shaken and unshakable. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this story in Acts chapter 4. Help us as, as your people to really take a hard look in, in our hearts and to remember that Christian friendship is so important that to remember that we need to open our Bibles, be students of the Bible because it's your word. Lord, help us to remember that you are in control of everything no matter what. And Lord, give us the courage to speak boldly, not for comfort, but for Jesus to be glorified. And I know you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.